Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Pretty Woman the Musical was canceled tonight at DC's National Theater due to the latest COVID surge, but you can still hear my conversation with Richard Gere. I spoke with Gere in 2015 about his role as a homeless man in Orrin Mooverman's indie film Time Out of Mind, as well as his memories of iconic roles in Days of Heaven, An Officer and a Gentleman, and of course, Pretty Woman. The visual style of this, it's such an experiment that you guys tried to pull off here because it's not, you know, it's not typical Hollywood. I mean, we've seen Midnight Cowboy. I know it's a little Razzle Rizzo, that kind of stuff, but even though it's had a little more of a, a slightly little more of a traditional storyline, with, with this, I loved what you were saying about the Where's Waldo thing. Sometimes you didn't even know um, where the camera was. No, I remember clearly we've been shooting the scene at the Coalition for the Homeless, which, you know, plays an important part of this. And they were the group that I had been working with for a decade and uh, I think it was just starting to rain outside and you're rushing oh we got a shot and they're up on the roof somewhere down the block and blah, blah, blah. I had no idea where they were and the AD saying we gotta go now it's perfect the rain is blah 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 it's just okay walk out the door and I walk out and as we've done a lot in the movie I just start behaving <laughs> you know I'm just there and uh, I am the character and then the AD walked by me and he's got kind of a FBI mic in his wrist and he says, no, turn around, walk the other way. <laughs> I find some reason to turn around and walk the other way. And then I said, okay, cut, cut. Was the uniqueness of that role part of the reason why you wanted to do it compared to other stuff you've done? And I think just there were some mysteries here that I wanted to explore and I I really, I pretend to know what they are and I'll talk about them, but I don't really know, <laughs> nor do I really want to know. Right. But there was something innate in this that I needed to explore, wanted to explore. And there, we were laughing about it this morning, because I've had the script for a long time, 10, 12 years I had it before we met. And I admired his work, and we worked on another picture that, that Oren had co-written, uh, the Bob Dylan movie, I'm Not There. And he, somehow I had to get to another place. He had to shoot two movies before this for us to find the right moment right. of engaging this material and deciding to make this movie. Yeah. So it couldn't have been done 15 years ago. So you lived with that role, letting it just gestate a little inside yeah. you, and, and when you showed up on set, you just brought that whole 10 years of sort of living it and considering it? Yeah, but the way we were thinking about the film was not in terms of dramaturgy, it was, it was in terms of being. Mm -hmm. And that when Oren wrote the script, it was very much in terms of process. Of just, just let's, let's really take the guy from the last apartment he's able to call yeah. home. Even in the very tenuous way he's calling that home, the right, apartment right. we find him in. To put him on the streets and then put him into the system. Let's just see what happens. He has one emotional connection to this, we find out, daughter. Let's just see in process, not push it, not force it, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that demands a certain acting style too, of, yeah. of, of just being, which is more like someone on the street anyhow. They got no place to go. It's not like I got an appointment, you know. Right. I, I'm, uh, it's, it's a, a relatively animal existence of I'm tired and I'm hungry. We put a scene there with a, with a homeless woman because it was sex is a part of animal life too, mm -hmm. this kind of connection. 
right. in an animal sense, but in a deeper sense of, of needing to, to connect with someone. Right. And albeit this was, an in, they didn't know who they were. It was a moment for two people coming together in a, in a deep soul way that had no meaning in the world beyond that. I love how you shot through all the windows and bars, you know, like mise-en-scene of you being trapped by bars and things. And talk about just how you decided from the get-go to shoot with that style as opposed to more of a traditional style. Well, for the, from the first time we started talking about this movie, we knew that we were going to have a, a specific look for it. Uh, because this was going to be a movie about a guy who you normally, we normally do not pay attention to. Uh, and so there's a certain amount of effort put into paying attention to someone's story, someone who's on the street, someone who you don't really know. And we wanted the movie to work that way, to be layered in a way where the point of view is of the city. And you actually, as an audience member, you're making an effort to pay attention to this guy who sometimes you don't even know where he is or sometimes he gets lost in the crowd and he's wide shots. Um, so we looked at photography and uh, specifically the photography of Sol Leiter who was uh, an early New York school photography color photographer uh, when it was already to do black and white and he was shooting through windows through uh, all kinds of things that got in the way of the subject and sometimes you didn't even know what the subject right. of the shot was and it was kind of a perfect metaphor for a story about a homeless man where who you wouldn't place in the world without making an effort to pay attention and to have compassion for this man. We kind of simulated that um, by shooting through uh, windows, through storefronts, from rooftops. Um, it also was necessary to hide the camera and let Richard blend into live environments. Maybe so. even carrying glass around, yeah. Yeah. carrying windows to create reflections and nice. other layers of obfuscation. So, and uh, frankly, I never saw that. I chose not to even look at playbacks or look at anything, so I knew how the scenes were playing, but I didn't really know how they were looking right. until after we finished shooting. I'm like, my God. Just the, the process of engaging the audience as we're sitting there in the theater, looking at the screen, forced to scan the entire image, you know, even even some people in the audience you know, do the famous lean around the walls when you disappear. I mean, the idea of, of the active engagement and forcing us to try to find you in the shot, do you think that will make the audience leave when they leave the movie theater and perhaps see a homeless person outside? Will that help them zero in on that in a way that maybe they would have just been, you know, overlooked it before? Now you're teaching them to engage and, and notice all their surroundings. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're, if we're teaching them, we're, we're giving them the experience of going through that and what they take with them is hopefully the ability to see um, people they haven't seen before. But I would, I would turn the question on you. I mean, you, you saw it last night. What, how did you feel walking out of uh, the theater and, and having that experience? Well, that's, I mean, that's really the reason I asked the question is because it was the exact feeling that I had. You know, it's, it's more of a movie to... It's not, a, it's not a thrill ride to munch popcorn, it's a movie that opens your eyes and you walk out of the theater and you look and, and you, it's almost like you see the world around you in a different way. I mean, that's how I, what I took from which, it. Which that's is great. amazing and, and, and a great uh, gift that you know, you, you're giving to us but to yourself. Uh, and, and that's, you know, our, that, it was our dream to make a movie. Uh, and it was Richard's dream for a long time. He brought me into his dream, so I get to live in your dream if you live <laughs> to live in mine. Uh, to, to have a movie that, that will do that, that will give you a certain kind of small awakening. Uh, and then when you go into the world, you carry it with you. 
Uh, that's the meaning of experience as opposed to the meaning of, of just a viewing experience. Uh, it's, 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 this experience is immersive. Yeah. And hopefully you walk out of the theater and you carry George with you. And then you start seeing George and other people who are in distress. And then you start seeing who they are actually uh, beyond you know, the one person. But by focusing on one person, we, we gave hopefully a, a, a taste of the, the, yeah. the possibilities for, for compassion, the possibility for seeing people as they are and for engaging them in whatever way and for caring on a small level and hopefully that builds into a, a large-scale um, dealing with the issue. Talk about the concept um, of being able to hear various uh, street conversations from various people. Um, a lot of the time it's, you know, it's almost a silent performance for a lot of the movie. I mean, you do silent have to, movie. yeah, yeah. I mean, this could well have been a totally silent movie. I mean, yeah. It's the whole sound concept and design, that was Oren's complete contribution to this. I, it wasn't something that I was focusing on when I was thinking about the film. Right. And in fact, we had, we had budgetary constraints that were yeah. enormous on this. We only had 21 <laughs> days to shoot. Wow. He needed sound. And he kept saying from day one, sound is going to be really important to this. And I said, you really need it? Because that's expensive. I don't know. <laughs> we get good sound, but do you yeah. really need... A little tramp made it with si walking around town yeah. silent, you know? No, but we got an extraordinary recordist who was out yeah. there. with we, Mics were all over the city. Yeah. And it really it was incredible. But that all came from Warren. That's great. Maybe there isn't an actual answer to this, but... Did you yourself, while playing it just internally, did you know what, to you, the scar on the head was? Do you know what the accident... I know it's never said, and purposely... I mean, it's purposely the ambiguous. second time today someone has said this. <laughs> in the previous six months, no one yeah. has mentioned that. Really? Maybe it's a DC thing. I don't know. The very first shot of him, when he's in that bathtub, and he comes out of the bathtub, and he looks at himself in the mirror, and he sees that... The, what side of the face is this side? Yeah. There's a big bruise there. Yeah. And he doesn't remember where it came from. Yeah. He see it hurts, and he looks at it and goes, "That must really hurt." Yes, it does. I think the scar is the same way. Yeah. Now, I, we talked about it a lot, and we thought, well, let's do it in a way that it could have been brain surgery. He could have had some kind of a serious problem. Yeah. Which could explain some of his disjointed behavior and thought process. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, it was just an accident, whatever. But uh, we were putting cues out there that, that might physically explain his mental and spiritual state. Right, right. But so, so it's never an actual answer in there, but more little clues. It wasn't important right. what the actual event was. Right. Like the result of it is His backstory is not interesting right. to either of us, really. Right. But it's also, you know, symbolically what these physical we're making a film so we're using visual language and what these physical clues are doing for me yeah. is not create a mystery trying to make you figure it out they're actually saying this man has a history right it was a history from a few days ago because the blood is still fresh on, on, the, right. on the scrapes but it's, and more it's a than history two days, of the past yeah. it's more than two days right. of problems with this exactly. guy right, right. <laughs> so it's just communicating the idea that if we look at people there are certain things that will give you a sense of a story of a human life that is in progress, that is not starting when you 
see them for the first time. Right. And that creates interesting questions, and that's what we were going after, the interesting questions. Got you. So I asked you the scar question. I'm going to ask you the, the number 33 at the, at the homeless shelter. Is there, is there a significance to that? The year Christ lived to? I mean, I don't know. The guy does the Bible passage, and I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. You, you can totally interpret it. <laughs> let, let me tell you how it happened for real. Okay. Because this, the way we worked on this This project, is probably something far less exciting. No, it's exciting in its own way. Uh, the way we worked on this movie and the way I like to work in general is that there's certain things that are happening because you're working without a net and there's going to be accidents. And the accidents are going to be interesting. Yeah. And the mistakes are going to be interesting. The happy accidents, yeah. And so we, the production designer, Kelly McGee, and I, we went through the room and we discussed how many lockers are going to be there and how many beds and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and we talked about numbers. You know, there's a lot of yeah. numbers and letters in the movie yeah. that yeah. kind of are about bureaucracy and about, you know, go here, do this. And when you go into the shelters, you see years and years of uh, putting yeah. numbers and letters and then erasing them and putting new numbers and letters. And... Um, and I just said, number them, um, and he's going to stay in this one, which was the central one in the particular room. I didn't know what number it was going to be. <laughs> when we arrived to see the set for the first time, I look at the number and I said, of course. It's just by sheer coincidence. She didn't mean it that way. It was just some, you know, she just numbered them, wow. went in order. It was number 33, Christ age. Um, it just so happened that the first... <laughs> word that comes out of Steve Buscemi's mouth when he sees Richard character in Jesus. the tub is yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, that's but that's a confluence. That, when that, when when that stuff happens, do you feel like you're in some sort of fatalistic? You know, oh, we sh we're supposed to be making this movie at this time. Like yeah. all these weird things are at, you know coinciding. We embrace those things, and therefore, for us, these things are supposed to happen. We we let them happen because if you let them happen, beautiful things could come out of it. Um, there is a, a very, to me as a Jew, this 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 could be a very Christian movie, right. you know. And I think it is about you know suffering. It is about love. It is about compassion. Yeah. It is about caring. Is certain things that are uh, right. very basic to Christianity and to the the story of Christ. Um, it just so happens that it worked its way into the movie. Yeah. Definitely. This is the first time I've heard anyone bring that up either. Yeah, you're pretty good. We're on top of it, man. We're on top of it. People actually starting to actually watch the movie. Yeah. Well, if more people would actually look at the movie, but um, what was waiting for the Palestinian flag question, but that's gonna come at some point. Yeah. Oh, I was I was trying to figure out the the key the the locksmith through the window shot near the beginning. I was trying to figure what that was. So I don't know if there's something there. Let me know. But well, it's just a man who's just been thrown out of his home and across the street. We're looking from the store where somebody's making a key for somebody who's going into an apartment somewhere on the street. So it's a nice little irony, symbolic. It's just life, man. But that's but that's direction, you know. That's to me, that's filmmaking is to plant those things that yeah, you're following the story, but like you can pepper the image with all this stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So I mean, hats off for that on that respect. Um, before we go, I mean, can we do like just some rapid fire on your other movies real fast? You know, what brought you to this point? Um, Days of Heaven. Um, what was it like shooting Magic Hour? It was every every shot was no. no, no. no? That's is that a is that a rumor? It's apocryphal. Yeah. Terry and I were just talking about this actually. It was a, a month ago he and I had talked and we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And uh, we were talking about how we both were were trying to figure out who we were at that point. Yeah. He wasn't Terry Malick, no. Terrence Malick yeah. at that point, you know. And I was. Uh, this was my first movie. Yeah. Was that so? There was no 
projection on me of what I was supposed to be, mm -hmm. nor did I know myself enough to be inventing it in any particular way. Um, it, it was uh, his his first film, Badlands, was an incredible film. I was yeah. I felt very fortunate to be making this movie with him, and and working without a net because the the script was the script, but he were in a way works like Orin. I mean, it's very intuitive in the moment. Yeah, that had a lot of production in it. Yeah, you know, so we there were a lot of things. There were trains and machines and animals and fires <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> boats and stuff that yeah. one had to deal with and order and get them on the right day and, and bugs and bugs we had a lot of bugs the locusts but uh, the magic hour thing is interesting because there were days that I think we did our best not to shoot in midday light because it's so ugly so we shot early mornings and we shot late afternoons and sometimes magic hour we always try to get something in magic hour and sometimes it was important we get sequences in Magic Hour, so we would rehearse right. three, four, five hours for that 20 minutes mm -hmm. of Magic Hour right. we had, and we would get it all done within that time. So there was a certain amount of right. hysteria to move quickly <laughs> and to move well for that 20 right. minutes. But it wasn't a whole movie, no. So that's more of a, a mythical legend that start that followed yeah. the movie. Yeah. Completely Don't different. Don't let me bust that, by the way. If you, if you want to hold on to the legend, you go ahead. <laughs> that's awesome. No, it's okay. I won't let you bust it. Completely different movie. When you you, you do a movie like Days of Heaven, and then years later, uh, more of a, a romance officer and a gentleman or a pretty woman. Um, what are your memories of those two movies? Did and specifically was the was the clip where she reaches for the necklace and you snap the box? Was that in the script or was that between no, that you guys? That was totally spontaneous. Yeah. How did you think to do that one? I didn't. Barry Marshall <laughs> called me and he said, "Richard, when she reaches in the box, close it on her finger. Let's see what happens." <laughs> and the reaction? That's in the movie. Yeah. Um, is that the movie most people come up to you on the street? Yeah, of course. Or is it? Of yeah. course. I mean, it doesn't matter culturally. It doesn't matter how smart you are as a, <laughs> as a movie person or how educated or uneducated, where you live, what continent, yeah. what color, what any that. That's a movie that somehow touches you. And you're t are you totally fine with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that movie the first time with Julia. We were sitting at a preview, and we'd snuck in the back and we're sitting together and. We were laughing and being touched like everyone else was. That was it's kind of a first-rate movie-movie experience, for sure. You were able to remove yourself and, and just watch it's it. It's just like well a, done. Yeah. You know, and I can't claim any credit for that, but right. Gary Marshall made a, the archetype of that kind of movie with yeah. Julie and me. Gotta be an honor. Well, and now it's just and it's just a privilege to see you still doing it. I mean, that was 1990. So Look, yeah, I, I'll be totally clear and honest with you. Of all the things I've done. I can't think of anything I'm more proud of than this. Just because the issue it tackles? Or no, that? no, it was just the whole thing. I mean, yeah. this guy making the movie with him, we, we wanted to do something. We gave ourselves the highest possible motivation we could moving into this. And we stuck with it every moment. Uh, we just reached high and we're, just, we're proud of the film. I'm deeply proud of it. I'm deeply proud to talk about it. Are you still talking about pre one? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's a, perfect, that's a perfect spot to end it, guys. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.